All righty, here we go. It is uh, another brand new episode of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. I am Jason Perkitas. Hello. And Stephen Valakef from MSG, former NHL goaltender, proprietor of ClearSight Analytics, is going to join us in just a moment as well. And can't wait to talk to Valley because I-, I love the work that he does from an analytics standpoint, measuring shot quality. I love the work that he does on MSG and analyzing the Rangers. I love the fact that he played the game at the NHL level, and one of his tandem guys was Henrik Lundqvist, who just had that big night a couple months ago in New York to honor Hank. So uh, we'll talk to Stephen Valaket coming up momentarily here on Par- our Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Before we get to Valley, let me tell you about Bet Parks because the app is awesome. It's uh, so easy to use. It's functionality is better than ever before. So make sure you check it out. Download the new app. It's everything you're going to want in a mobile casino and sports book. It's right in your pocket. So it's simple. Once you get to download the app, log in or open up an account and new users, all Bet Parks new users. Actually, that's not even true. All Bet Parks users get the choice of either a $20 casino bonus or a $20 free sports bet. So even more reason to jump on now. You got the national championship. You've got obviously the remainder of the hockey season and into the playoffs, which are always fun. You've got the remainder of the uh, pro basketball season and then the playoffs. That's always great to get the action in on. And then obviously you've got baseball. And at this point, I mean, football's not even that far around the corner. I mean, we're in April at that right now. So download the new Bet Parks app today and you, and just Check it out. You're going to love it. Check out the, the mobile casino, too. That's really cool stuff. Um, and download the app today. You do need to be over 21 and present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. So Stephen Valaket will join us just in, in a couple of moments. And we've got a lot to talk about with Valley because, you know, you look at the Rangers. They're going to make the playoffs for the first time in five years. It's been a while for the Rangers. And it's kind of been a tumultuous five years. You go back to the email that they sent out to season ticket holders saying they were going to take a step back to rebuild and they were going to trade off pieces, whether that was McDonough or, you know, the pieces that they moved. And then, you know, or Panarin decides, Hey, I want to play in New York. When he becomes a free agent, he goes to the Rangers. Uh, they get Adam Fox, who was drafted by Calgary, chose the Rangers. They get Shesterkin that, Hey, full marks to them for that, how they got Shesterkin. They go from Richter to Lundquist to Shesterkin. Not bad. I mean, he's been uh, unbelievable this season. Then you, I mean, you get Truba in a trade, then you extend them. Uh, we know about Kreider, who they decided to extend and not trade. And the fact that he's got 46 goals this year, 24 of which have come on the power play. He's probably the best power forward in the NHL this season. And then you look at all the other pieces they have. They're a good team. Are they ready to win? I mean, they have a little lottery luck, too. I mean, they move up and they get Capo Caco at the top of the draft. And then they get uh, Alex Lafreniere in the number one overall pick. And they win the lottery in a season, by the way, where they were the 15th ranked team. They were the 15th ranked team. They had like a 1% chance to win that lottery in 2020. They did. Detroit that year. I'm going to bring up the standings. Because Detroit in that season 
was so far and away the worst team in the NHL. And then a team like the Rangers actually ends up getting the pick. So that's the 2019-20 season. And the Rangers that year, they finished with a record. They were seventh in the Metro. They finished with a record of 37-28-5. That's actually not a bad record. That's over Hockey 500, nine games over Hockey 500. They were plus in goal differential. And the Detroit Red Wings that season, uh, Grant, this is the shortened season. So only 71 games, 17, 49, and five. They had 39 points. The Rangers had 40 more standings points than the Detroit Red Wings. And the Rangers ended up with the number one overall pick. Like I said, the Rangers were plus 12 in goal differential. The Red Wings were so bad, they were minus 122. I, that's hall that's almost hard to fathom that you could be minus 122 in 71 games. So, like I said, Detroit worst team in the league. The set so this will give you some perspective. In those 71 games Detroit had 39 points. The second worst team in the league was Ottawa. They had 62 points. 62. The Rangers had the 15th worst record with 79 points. That is just incredible. And then, obviously, lottery luck blesses the Rangers. They get Alex Lafreniere, and who has been – I mean, he wasn't a guy that was coming in as a generational talent, but he's been a good player. Uh, he's not been what they'd hoped just yet. He will, you know, he will end up there, but and end up being a good player. I mean, they talked about even trading him at the deadline, which I thought was a little crazy, but a little early for that. But teams that just because you have the worst record does not mean that lottery luck will bless you. And in the NHL, it's more about when you're bad to get the luck because you can have draft years. Like if, it, if you're drafting the top of the draft, yeah, the logic says you're going to get the best player available because you're drafting higher. That's That's how drafts work. But that's not always the case. I mean, I, I look back at Edmonton. And Edmonton had a bunch of years and landed a bunch of number one overall picks. They ended up with the number one overall pick in 2010. They took Taylor Hall. They had it number in 2011. They took Ryan Nugent Hopkins. They had it in 2012. They took Nail Yakupov. And they had it again, obviously, in 2015, and they got Connor McDavid. Now, Hall won a heart in New Jersey. They had to trade him. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, nice player, but obviously not a superstar or even a star for that matter. Uh, Nail Yakupov, that didn't work out in 2012 with Edmonton. And then obviously McDavid, you have a generational talent. But that's over five years that they were lottery winners four times. Four, well, actually in six years. Because in between the Nail Yakupov pick, Colorado ended up with the number one overall pick and took Nathan McKinnon. Florida had the worst record that season. And then the 2014 draft, Aaron Ekblad went number one overall in Philadelphia, mind you, to Florida. Buffalo had the worst record that year. Buffalo had the worst record in the year that uh, the Oilers won the lottery again and got Connor McDavid. They ended up with Jack Eichel, who's no longer in Buffalo. So this whole notion, and I talked about this on Flyers Daily quite a bit, of Flyers need to, like, they beat the Rangers in the shootout. And people, some people I saw were freaking out going, this is not good. They need to lose games. They need to field a team that's going to lose more to get more a better percentage in the lottery. 
to me, I cannot, cannot condone that. I don't think that's the right thing to do. And I, I just don't think it's smart to, to do that. I think winning is better for these young players in the lineup. Being competitive against an opponent is better in the long run. The Flyers right now have the fifth highest odds to land the number one overall pick. The best odds, Montreal, 25.7%. Arizona, the second best odds at 12.1%. Seattle at 10.9%. New Jersey at 9.7%. And the Flyers have an 8.5% chance at the number one overall pick. So this notion to lose games to get more lottery balls, I think is ridiculous. So I call bullshit on it. Uh, but let's get to the man right now. Because I love talking to this guy. His company does great work, ClearSight Analytics. We've talked about it on Stick to Hockey before. And he does a great job on MSG, former NHL goaltender. Good friend of Henrik Lundqvist. We don't get buddies of Henrik Lundqvist joining us <laughs> very often, but it is today. Uh, Nelly, how you doing? Good to see you. I, um, I've got two screens here on my computer, and I know that this one is the one that's recording, but I wanted it to be this one. Um, I haven't been on this uh, site before, StreamYard, so um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this or not, but um, I guess I'll just work with you from here, Jason. <laughs> you always got like multiple screens. It's like NORAD in your place. Well, I have to because I usually typically have the data right here, and then this is where I watch the video, and I have <laughs> to be able to jump back and forth because what I oftentimes say is that the data itself is just a pathway to video. That's all it is. It's nothing more, nothing less. You've still got to do your work. Yeah. Uh, can you still move left to right like you did back when you were playing? <laughs> no. I played an alumni game with the uh, Rangers two years ago, and like, it was amazing how much you lose. Um, one of my favorite sayings is uh, Yo-Yo Ma, that famous cellist. He once said, when I miss one day of practice, I notice. When I miss two days of practice, my wife notices. And if I miss three or more days of practice, the world notices. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> okay. awesome. The world noticed that I had missed seven years of practice. <laughs> how, how, how are you feeling physically after you know, the long career? Good. I was lucky because I spent a lot of time in the cold tub. And yeah. honestly, it saved me. Um, an experience I had, well, you guys had Ray Emery in Philadelphia and I'll never forget it because I was preparing for this game because I thought I might have to fight Ray because we had some words before the game. And we were playing in the minors against one another. He was with the big bidding to uh, uh, the Senators. Senators and uh, what happened was I was in my butterfly and I moved to my right quickly. And as I was doing that, I just felt my MCL just go. Wow. And it was I was around 23 years old. And it bothered me because I felt like I was fragile. And it wasn't an impact injury. It wasn't like somebody fell on me. Yeah. So it, I was nervous about it. Long story short is the Toronto Raptors and us. I was with the Toronto Roadrunners. I don't even know if you remember that team. It was an yeah, American yeah, sure. team. And uh, long story short is the guy from the Raptors said, look, um, all of our players, whether they have had an injury in the past or not, with maintenance, ice their knees because of the impact the floor runs through their knees and then out their hips. And he said, you're a goalie. How many times do you think you're going down each day in practice? And I had known this from a previous study. I was going down around 300 times a day. Yeah. Now you do that enough and that impact through the knees and the hips, 
you need to get the swelling out of your joints. And the only way to do that was to ice. And every day, put one in my house um, after every practice, whether I ran, lifted, whatever it was. And you know what? From age 23 to 35, I didn't have a lower body injury. No kidding. 15 minutes in the cold tub. Have to do it, man. Have to do it. It's a tough 15 minutes because it's cold. (laughs) Well, it's got to, yeah, it's got to be, I would always have it somewhere between 36, 34 degrees. Yeah. Wow. But saves, you know, I mean, you want to play, you've got to make some sacrifices and it takes a lot of discipline, you know? Yeah. Not everybody wants to do that. And I remember after practice, guys being like, Valley, let's go. We're going, you know, to a restaurant, this and that. I'm like, no, I haven't iced yet. Yeah. It was every day. And if it uh, got to a point where I felt like there was a fire under my knees if I didn't do it. So for what I'm committed to, for the young kids that are listening, I mean, you gotta, you gotta, when you talk about putting the work in and being a pro, a big piece of that is the recovery afterwards. How much of a pro was your your tandem mate and Henrik Lundqvist? Because I know that the stories are legendary about him in practice and taking shootouts at the end. Oh, legendary. Um, yeah, I mean, oh, he legendary. was just honored too. And I mean, what what a career, what a guy. I mean, what an ambassador for the game, just every element. Yeah, I think that, you know, for the folks that are watching, you know, Philly fans, of course, wouldn't love to hear great things about Henrik Lundqvist. But what I can tell you is, is that, there was definitely um, some misdirection with what he did because, you know, he almost looked like the way that he dressed and the cars that he drove, you could sometimes say to yourself, oh, he's just interested in looking like a hockey player, not being a hockey player. Yeah. But the reality was everything had to be perfect with him, you know, everything. And that started with the way that he put his socks on in the morning to how he would prepare for the game and then get through a game, how competitive, it was everything. Look, I work with him now in the studio. It's the same thing. Everything's yeah. got to be tight. If we have a meeting, he's there 10 minutes before. You know, the commitment and what you see on the TV screen, you know, it, it's very difficult sometimes because you don't see all the hours that go into what an athlete does when they are a top elite guy. Yeah. Uh, they don't get there by accident. Yeah. You know? he- so, I mean, he was so polished in, in everything that he, he did now and is now doing. You know, I, I've talked about this before, Valley. I want to get your thoughts on this because Carter yeah. Hart has a, a very rigid regimen in preparation and the things that he does. Like game day is is very by the minute. Every minute is accounted for. Here's what I'm, I'm rolling now. I'm dialing in my hands and eyes now. You know, can that at some point, can you have to do you have to release some of that? Because it's almost like you're you're exhausting your brain. And if one thing gets out of whack, if you're on the road and your timing gets off, it can really mess you up. At some point, do you have to release some of that, you know, routine? Yes. You know, um, look, there's a, there's a difference between superstitions and routines. Now, yeah. a superstition, if you're not able to follow through with something during your day, that shouldn't interrupt your focus with what happens at seven o'clock at night. Yeah. Whereas a routine, you go through that because the comforts of doing it that way allow you to mentally be engaged the right way for the game. Now, Carter, uh, you know, first of all, you know, trying to get between the ears of an athlete is a very difficult thing to do. Um, they have to believe in what they are doing and then put into a situation to succeed, to be successful. And then after they've been successful, then you really know what you have uh, as far as a playoff performer based on a lot of information that you see 
as well as what you hear from the athlete, as well as what you may learn from them in the data. Like one thing that, and now I didn't know Carter was not playing against the Rangers yesterday until I had spoken to you the day before. And, um, you know, I was preparing for him because I wanted to see him again. Yeah. The thing about Carter is, is that, uh, and I'm, I'm, I've only heard that this is what the previous regime had thought about a little bit with, do we want to rush him and bring him in four years ago, or do we want to wait? Right. And I think the biggest thing that I've learned over the years, and now I've been retired 10 years already, but when I looked back at the goalies that had long success in the NHL, like a Henrik Lundqvist or a Corey Crawford or a Jimmy Howard, uh, Devin Dubnik, Braden Holtby, Ryan Miller, do you know what those guys all had in common? They all played over 200 games in the minors. Yeah, so Marc-Andre Fleury played over 100 games in the minors. Number so, one overall pick. You know, and like the thing is, is you can bring Carter in early, but the problem with goalies is, is that we get embarrassed when we allow goals. Okay, that's, that's the truth. It, it hurts us deeply, each one. And the ones that we make big mistakes on, they tend to carry a little more weight. And you can get over those minutes, uh, moments rather, that you are failing in the minor leagues. You can get over those moments when the lights aren't really on. There's maybe 3,000 people in the building instead of 20,000 people. The media, come on. In the minors, one person, one beat writer is following us around. Carter's getting surrounded after every game. So the one thing that I found interesting when learning more about Carter myself is that when the team gets ahead by a goal, that's when he performs at his worst. Okay. So when the flyers get ahead by one, that's when he performs at his worst. And there's a lot of pressure when you're up by one for the goaltender to be able to perform and hold the lead. All right. But why is it that he performs so much better? Those same goals that he allows when his team is up by one, when the team is down by two, he makes the save. Because that's garbage time, right? Yeah. That's the garbage time. Pressure off, right? Pressure's off. Hey, look, I can tell you. I mean, I may not have played in the NHL that long, but I played a long time. I played 15 years pro, five years junior. You know, I've been around, and there are different feelings per score of game. Totally agree. Totally, right? Like, 0-0 zero, yep. zero is not the same as up 6-3. Nope. It's not. Margin and- for error It plays on a mind, big time. Big time. And, uh, you know, you look at the low. Now, here's the thing about NHL goalies across the board. Everybody's unbelievable. You bring them to your men's league. You're never going to score on them. Right. Just start right there. Now, what separates uh, an NHL goalie from top of the list to bottom of the list is saves during game conditions that matter. So up by a goal, down by a goal, tied. Okay, who's the best? That's what you want to know. Uh, The other thing you're looking at oftentimes is um, how many low danger goals are your goalies allowing? Okay. Because last year in the NHL, when your goalie lets in a bad goal and our guy doesn't, um, you know, your team is going to lose 86% of the time. Wow. Now take this one for what it's worth. Philadelphia's last this year. They have played in 15 games where their goalies, either Jones or Hart have allowed a bad goal. And they've lost 14 of them. Okay. That, that is not a coincidence. It's the worst. It's the worst yep. in the league. You have a 93% chance to lose if you're the Philadelphia Flyers if one of your goalies gives up a bad one and the other guy doesn't. Yeah. And so it doesn't the, cancel out. 
Okay. Just, yeah, exactly. So last night, for instance, um, Jones had a great night. Um, Shosturkin gave up a bad first one. Yeah. Right. Clear view from the point. It knuckled, but that's from that. He's distance. got to make that save. Yeah. 65 feet. Right. He, he mm -hmm. made a mistake. That was the ninth low danger goal that he's allowed this season. But the Rangers, who are leading the league with 24 come from behind victories. And because of the credibility of the goalie, Shesterkin himself has garnered within the group from the early part of the season, they bail him out, you know? But then he also bails them out. There was Philadelphia. You guys had five breakaways last night. Yeah, that's nuts. Right? So three full-length breakaways, a partial breakaway, and a half-ice partial breakaway. But, you know, five one-on-one -on -one looks at different points in the game with Shesterkin. And then he dialed it right back. I mean, he came back. Yeah. Um, if you want to know who the best goalie and save percentage is in the NHL right now, um, when the score is tied, it is Marc-Andre Fleury. Second is Shesterkin. Yeah. So, you know, you, you look, and that's why I thought the Minnesota pickup with uh, Marc-Andre Fleury was good because they play a lot of game conditions tight. And yep. why his save percentage isn't as good as it was last year, Marc-Andre Fleury's, is because games were getting away with the score in Chicago and then those game conditions, I think, at his age, he just wasn't in the game as much. And that's the thing. Like, we're talking about the mental capacity of goalies. And what Carter Hart needs, honestly, is a sports psychologist. I, I and I he don't say one. that he's got one. He did. He's using John Stevenson. I who hope he used, but uh, I don't think they work together a whole lot. I know they still talk, uh, but I don't think it's like a client type thing like it was at one point. And I'm not saying that in a negative way because I wish I had the courage earlier in my career. I didn't hire mine until I was 27. Yeah. But what I can tell you is that everything changed from that point on because you have somebody from a goalie perspective. The only person you can ever talk to is your teammate, the other goalie. Yeah. Because they understand everything. <laughs> they do. And then you have your wife or your girlfriend, right? Or you have a sports psychologist that you can – judgment free lay all your problems out on the table and say look i'm playing like crap here because i don't think i can win or i don't feel good playing against my my issue was i this is why i was in the minor so long i didn't feel comfortable playing against teams that i believed were lesser than my level or uh, a lesser game i struggled yeah. against the albany river rats they were in last place yeah. you know but then you know I'm, I'm an idiot because i just gave up three in the first period and i'm getting pulled because I wasn't ready to play because I thought I was too good. Yeah. You know, it's so yeah, Came in a little know. chesty. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Last night, but um, I don't, you know, look, you, you got to work through these things. There's, it's one of the reasons why I do like the data that we collect because you can get a pretty good grasp on where somebody's strong or weak uh, in game conditions. And we can evaluate that that way. Boy, that's that's fascinating, Valley, because we've looked at this with the Flyers last year in the uh, 2021 season. They gave they had the second most goals given up after they scored a goal to go up one, scored a goal to tie tie a game or score a goal to get within one. They've gave up six, I think, 17 goals within a minute. So, you know, goals are like the momentum thing in hockey. You score. You're calling it. Yeah, you're saying yeah. it. We're saying the same. That's really interesting. See, I'm wow. looking at it from a player perspective and you're looking at it from the team perspective, but mm -hmm. we're saying the same things. So furthermore, you know, on that point, you know what I think about a lot and I get asked a lot, Jason is how is your stats going to a company to help us win? 
Well, you know how we're going to help you win? Start with the player. Yeah. It's it's a player performance. It's yeah. player growth, player development. Everybody's saying it, but nobody's doing it. Okay. Yeah. You need to have, you know what else I think? And I haven't talked about this publicly enough. I think you need a coach per line. You need a coach per line of, because you don't want your third line playing the same way as your first line. You just yeah. don't. You don't. Um, I, I want a team that has roles, right? And my third or fourth line is going to play a completely different game than my top six. So I'd like to have coaches designed specifically for, let's just call it what it is. I want my four-check offense to be great when Reeves is on the ice with Goudreau and Mott. We're going to get the puck in. We're going to crash bang. We're going to look for four-check offense. We're going to back check. Like, this is how we're going to play. This is but I don't want Panarin playing that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I don't want Zibanejad playing that way. I want them because they're so skilled, carry the puck with possession through the middle of the ice, have that leeway. I don't want Reeves doing that though. And you start to think about these things. And I think that we're saying the same thing. You see something trending wise with your team, you got to get right away to where it matters most, which is improving the players and it's player to player so that they can sort things out and play their game with their line and have a plan. Yeah, it makes it, you know, that's logical because like you see certain lines on the ice, you go, okay, when this line's on the ice, they can execute a two, one, two split four check really well. Right. And that line's out there. That does not work. They can't get in on it. And that first pass beats them every time and they're going the other way with numbers. Yeah. That's fascinating. Will the NHL teams, you know, buck up and pay a coach per line? I like it. <laughs> well, we're we're paying the players, right? Yeah, why not? And what is it worth? And in one of the books that really set me off on this uh, a year ago was the MVP Machine. It's a terrific book about baseball and how a lot of middling players became elite. And uh, there's a lot of work to be done on the player development side. I think that what you need is the information, right? Like the data, and you need a conduit to the players and a conduit to the coaches to be that maybe it's a former player, a guy that knows what too much information feels like. So it's not overwhelming, but you have somebody that's able to go in there and get the message through because there's a, there's a big division between what happens with the analytics and what doesn't make it to the ice. Yeah. That's so interesting. There was a, there was a sequence in the game uh, last night. So the Flyers scored that goal, the Cam York goal that you just alluded to from the point on that mm -hmm. clear-sighted shot. And 40 seconds later, Lafreniere's got a great chance yeah, in between the hash marks. Jones fights it off with a, a left shoulder save. Yeah. Flyers end up going the other way. They make the game 2 nothing. I call that a two-for-one. It's yeah. like the, the, the early bird special. And <laughs> as a goalie, I know you know this, Valley, and I know you felt it. You make that save, you go down the other end and score, you're like, that's my goal. Yeah. You because feel like I didn't give up one, it. and we got one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know what I found fascinating about watching Jones last night was how many shoulder and elbow saves that he made. Oh yeah, moving into him, sliding into him. So that I hadn't seen from him a lot in the past. Is that something you're seeing that's new? Yeah, the, um, Dilly really backed him into the net a little bit more. He was taking too much ice in San Jose. Yeah. And at his size, you know, he can't he can't cover that kind of real estate like Mark Andre Fleury, right? You know what that feels like. <laughs> yeah, so you put him in the middle of the net a little bit more yeah. and use that big torso. And I mean, he's he's played really well this year. I mean, he's given up some uh, some goals that you go, eh, you know. And but uh, his game to me looks like it's head and shoulders above where it was after the last three years in San Jose in that environment, which has just got to be 
yeah disastrous well you know um what's funny about that save to me is that it was the biggest question i had when i retired which was how do i protect up top when they get down below the dots yeah because what i found is that it's a race that your glove can't win to get it all the way up there mm -hmm. not enough time right so one of the calls that i made now uh, I was having this conversation this morning with, I was on the ice for two hours this morning and um, I was having this conversation with one of my shooters and he was asking me about another goalie coach that I had spoken to that wanted to do some business together. And I said to him, I said, uh, no, I don't like him because he's a know-it-all. And he goes, well, what do you mean? I'm like, look, man, I don't like know-it-alls. I want learn-it-alls. I want guys that are going to be learning all day long with me, bringing new things, be curious. So Receptive. I think that, yeah, just, you know, I, look, I wanted to, when I first retired, I wanted a lot of answers because I didn't have them. Right. So uh, when you're curious and you're a learn it all, you have to like, just find out where the best goalie coaches are. Uh, I took trips to Sweden, to Finland. One call that I'm going to talk to you about right now that I, you know, was thinking about earlier today. So I'll bring it up. And I saw it last night in Jones making those saves was I called um around and i was trying to look to find out who the top goalie coach was at the time that i was scouting for the islanders and the top goalies that i was looking at that that time were eric Carmery in the draft uh, yeah. a guy named patrick barzak that had an unfortunate off ice incident or else he would have been an nhl goalie um mackenzie skapsky was the other one and tristan jari so these goalies had all worked with the same goalie coach and they protected up top the way that jones was last night and not a lot of goalies in the NHL, I feel, are doing this often enough because when we're looking at the glove right now, you're going to see a lot of guys kind of stabbing at it. I think you can see, yeah, you can see on the camera where they go this way and the puck goes underneath the glove. Yep. Uh, Vasilevsky does a lot in tight where he should almost, not almost, he should. He should bring his hands down and have his fingers here so that he can play this game. Yeah. So I had this question about protecting up top. What I thought it was was when the puck is coming here that you turn your head and track it. Now you see how my elbow cannot break 90 any longer and it gets yep. stuck right here. The key is, and when you learn from a biomechanics perspective, the way that your ligaments connect in the back of your neck with your vertebrae, you can get more range when you are looking down at the puck and your head stays silent through the release. Yep. And now you can get your elbow all the way up. I was driving over the Tappan Z bridge and I was going to work uh, with a private client on the ice, and I received a call from this biomechanics coach, and I was so happy that he called me, and I was talking to him, and he said, uh, you know, what do you have questions on? And I said, look, protecting up top's just been really annoying. Uh, I didn't really know how to do it all the time. Uh, I knew how to do it intuitively, but I didn't know exactly mechanically what I should be working on every day. And I said, let's just kind of talk through it. And he said to me, are you driving right now? I said, yes. He said, put your back up against the chair while you're driving and just look ahead at the road and try and touch the roof of your car with your elbow. And I, you know, again, like that's, that's all you can do. Right. Yeah. Now he said, release yourself from the chair. So you're in your goalie posture and you're a little bit forward. And now look down the hood of your vehicle and see the roadway coming underneath your vehicle and now do it. And this would be the correct positioning. And you can see how I can get my elbow. Yeah. Over so it was the light bulb that went off right there where I was like, oh my goodness, that's amazing. And now we can get coverage up top the way that Jones was doing that last night, but doing it in a way that is almost by system of distance from net. 
Yeah. So like you said, if he's in the right position and he's got the right posture, if you if you look at my hand here, so this would be his chest angle and this would be his, his ass. Like his legs have to be firm. You can't be sitting. You've got to stay up here in this posture. When you do that, you can have the optimum coverage up top if you're silent with your head through the release of the ones that are coming at your ears. But it happens dots down because yeah. above the dots, you've got to be reactionary with your hands and close that way. But when it is coming dots down, hands stay low to protect the lower part of the neck, shoulders and elbows up top. I just thought I was really uh, impressed with him last night. I was like, you know what? That's great. It goes to show you that uh, you can still add things to your game as you age. Yeah. I think the other part of it too, Valley, like I, I talk about this a lot. You know, when when fans watch the game and they see a high shot, I think there's a, there's sometimes there's this just mental assumption without it being verbalized that a shot comes in like a pitcher throws a pitch, yeah. you know, from here and it comes straight in. That's yep. not the case. Yep. Puck comes from ice and up. And we don't see that perspective when you watch game. You go, high shot, came in straight. No, no, no. It's coming <laughs> on an angle. And yep. like I, re- I, I kind of went through this in the beginning of the season. Carter gave up a goal to Pod Luzin in the Vancouver game. And everybody said, he went down too early. So I did a video and I broke it down. Now he's not down too early. He was just slightly off kilter. Yeah, and his and his glove hand was back, and I I I brought my glove out. And I showed if he's more square now, the glove's more forward. The angle is obviously cut because the glove all of a sudden gets bigger to the puck. You got and it. Goes over the net. So I think that you know people you got to you got to keep that in mind when you look, at especially high shots. You know, one thing I want to talk about with Hart, and uh, again, I I was doing this preparation, didn't get to use it because he didn't play, but. First thing that I looked at was that he's at the bottom of the bottom in screens this year. You've probably noticed that in the games. Yep. So his save percentage is, is at the bottom in screens. And um, one of the reasons why is that, and you'll see him do this too often. And this is from a technical standpoint. I, I think about this a lot. Why do we work on technique so much so that we have some confidence to play the games? You earn your confidence in your practice. Now, the first thing I would work on with Carter is his posture, okay? Because when he's trying to cover up top, if you look at his pads, they split. Mm -hmm. Now, this is how you get over this issue. You take your goalie stick, you put it on top of the net, and you put the puck out. You can really see this off the angles, okay? Put a puck anywhere, what I call the funnel area. It's a line, like this is getting technical for this, for the show without a dry erase board. But a line from the middle of the net that goes up to where the red line meets the boards. It's a it's a big part of the ice. It's not dead slot, but it's a big part of the ice. Put a puck anywhere there, and then take your depth in the net and get into the butterfly and have your goalie coach with a pile of pucks try and beat you on the ice. What you're going to notice is that you never need to split to make a save. Yeah. At, at our adult size, you can get to midpoint of the crease and not have to split to make saves. So right there, you could fundamentally say that my foundation is very solid. My knees are together. I want to be knees together when I make contact with the puck. Nothing through me. Nothing goes Nothing goes through me, yes. But furthermore, my base is so strong that I am never splitting to make a save, which brings my shoulders down. Yeah. Because when you do this, what happens is this. Yep, everything gets right. used down. Yeah. So Carter's got shots coming up here, and from distance through screens or just even clear sightment, you know, he really should just be here. 
But what he's going to is like this. Yeah. Because his knees are coming apart during his save. Um, and that kills water. us up high. That kills us up high coverage. And guess what else it does? It takes your head from being in a very quiet position because it's easier to track when you're set. Ever since I was a kid, the goalie coach has always told us, set your feet, set your feet, set your The reason why they were doing it, whether they knew it or not, was because you set your head. And when you do that, you can track it all the way in. When Carter's trying to make a glove save right now, he's doing this. Yeah, head's moving. And he can't see it. Yeah. You know, he's a great goalie that there's a few little things here that if he changes posture, sitting when he's getting into his butterfly, he's six foot two, but I'm telling you, you go over his areas of weakness and he makes himself very small when he can keep his posture. He, but this is kind of getting back to, I just hope he wasn't rushed because, yeah. you know, what is he right now? Is he 23? Yeah, I think 20, yeah, 22, 23. No, I think he's it'll be still, 24 in August. He's a kid. He's a yeah. kid. Um, but he didn't get his 200 games. I mean, look, we were speaking about Lundqvist earlier. Henry played 236 games internationally uh, in Sweden before he ever stepped into Madison Square Garden. Yeah. You know, and, and that's why, and I talked to him about this a lot. He was like, Valley, the lockout was huge for me because he stayed in Sweden and played against NHLers. Yes. And played against a lot of the top goalies in the NHL at that time. Yeah. And he's like, I played Jose Theodore. I played against Nick Backstrom. I played against all these guys. And I knew that when I beat them, that I was good enough to play in the NHL. But it was after he gets into his 200 plus games. I mean, it's, believe me, if you spend time on how many goalies from the previous era had 10 plus years of success in the NHL, they have that long road because of how many games they played in the minors first. Yeah. Valley, when you look at the Metropolitan Division and the goaltending, you know, we just talked about Hart, Shesterkin, you've seen him close up all year long and you know his habits and everything. But you look at Sorokin, uh, you look at Tristan Jari, who you mentioned before that you scouted with the Islanders, you look at uh, what they've got in in New Jersey with Mackenzie Blackwood, but just the goaltending in this division. I mean, I don't know that we've ever seen this many really solid young goaltenders all at the same time. Well, I was saying that, Jason, I was saying that verbatim three years ago. Mm -hmm. Now I'm not so sure. And the only reason why is because a lot of guys have been rushed. Um, Mackenzie Blackwood's been rushed, right? Like, do you remember when Corey Crawford was supposed to be with him and they were going to just share or maybe Crawford? And then right before the season, Crawford just decides to retire. Yeah, that really set him, put him in a bad spot. Put him in a bad spot, man. He wasn't ready for it. And now he's searching for his game, super talented. What's going to happen with, I don't want to scare you here, but what typically happens with young goalies that are rushed, they end up flourishing in other organizations. That's just what happens because the NHL is not a development league and you can only lose so much at this level before you need to make a change as an organization. Happens all the time. Yeah. Um, Let let me, last thing for you, Valley, and I appreciate your time as always. I love talking to you. You know that. Um, But let me ask you about the notion of rebuild or retool in the NHL. Mm -hmm. And I've been kind of going through this because Flyer fans, obviously, you know, the organization basically said, we're not going through a teardown rebuild. They can't because of contracts with Couturier and Hayes, Ryan Ellis, and there's obviously some tenuous, you know, injury situations there. But I look at all the teams that either went through an aggressive rebuild, a rebuild, a retool, whatever you want to call it. And 
the one common denominator to the success or failure is really simple to me. And it's it. Do you have goaltending? Because I look at the teams that don't. Yeah. Buffalo has been mired in this rebuild for a decade plus. I look at even, you know, I look at Edmonton. Same thing. They have the two two of the most dynamic players ever with skates on their feet. And without goaltending, they're not going anywhere. Is that the common denominator? Is that the one thing that makes you look at Vancouver and go, I think that team can do it because of Demko. Or I look at a team, you know, like L.A. that's got Cal Peterson. Is is that common denominator that pronounced? Yeah, I think it's, you know, I get, I've had this conversation a lot of the last four years, seeing the Rangers since the letter that they sent out in 2018. You know, when I talk to scouts that I trust a lot about, because they're the, they're the most important people in your organization. They're the ones that are out there finding the players that you need to find to bring in to your organization when they're ready. Like the Rangers just did it. They brought in um, Mott. Uh, they brought in Goudreau this past summer, really key point uh, piece. And uh, Cop, Petrano. Um, the key from that I, the feedback I get from scouts that really seems like the key to unlock a quicker rebuild is to bring in high character performers. And the reason why I'm saying that is because you cannot get through the dark days of a rebuild with low character people. If you have yeah. mediocre people in your locker room, it will be okay to lose. And then the young guys that you're trying to develop into strong players, they feed off of that. Okay. And somehow it becomes a part of who they are, their DNA. It's contagious. Um, the Rangers, when you have high character people like Chris Kreider and Mark Stahl that was here for the big part of the rebuild, if you have people that can help, uh, what is Edmonton's biggest failure been? It's been, they haven't had core pieces around uh, the core. They haven't had the the pieces around to support them. And you don't realize how much time we spend together. You can't fool the players. And what I oftentimes come back to is that if you're not of high character yourself, you can't judge character. So the scouts have to be high character to be able to find the right character people to be brought in and play a specific way so that we can learn together and go through the steps will allow the group when it's ready to have the right ads like the Rangers right now put together their core and you're right about Shesterkin believe me he's sped up what Shesterkin did was he he sped up the belief within the team because in October and November up until Christmas when they were getting badly outplayed Shesterkin stole a handful of games and when he did that the team around him believed that they could be good And then they stuck to their roles. Everybody stuck to their roles. And then now that if you pay attention to the Rangers enough, what you'd know is that from the beginning of the season until Christmas, they were one of the worst teams in chances against. But from Christmas until now, they're they're all like five, six, and seven game to game. Like they're somewhere around the top five in fewest chances against. They're defending much better. Last night was not a great example because it got loose. The hockey was fun. and. Mm -hmm high event, but the way they've played in, in crunch games, really good example would be Friday's game uh, against the Pittsburgh Penguins, where they just locked it down, played a great game. Everybody played their role. You have to understand that the people matter more than what talent you think you're squeezing out of a draft. Like totally it's the people, agree. man. They're going to hurt you if you don't have high character people. And um, 
it's it's very difficult to find them. And I think that you have, like you talk to your scouts, they have a do not draft list. Don't deviate from that. If you don't take a low character person, even if they've got a higher level of skill than the guy ahead, because at some point they're going to disappoint you. And I don't find they're going to infect you. They're going to infect, they're going to hurt you in so Mm -hmm. many ways. They hurt the group. You know, I I oftentimes talk about a team this way too, where there's uh, there's four different types of personalities on a team. There are your sheep herders. And if you have two or three of those go-to guys, those are the guys that really lift and unite the group. You need to have them. You can't win a championship without herders. You need you need one, two, three. You're probably winning a Stanley Cup. You need some sheep that are really on the fence. Uh, they want to be led, but they're not sure. But they can fall either way if the top of the leadership isn't something that's really something to gravitate to. So you've got sheep herders, sheep, and then corpses. Corpses are guys that don't care if you win or you lose, but they score you points. So in the regular season, they can help you out. And every team, I think you could. Without naming anybody, there are guys like that on teams. You can live with uh, one, maybe two of those guys in your lineup. They're usually the point getters. Um, but the, t- the player or teammate that hurts you the most is um, the terrorist. And that's the fourth group. And the terrorist is the guy that undermines the coach's message. As soon as the coach leaves, he's chirping. He's bringing the group morale down. Now, if you have a terrorist in your lineup, you're probably a non-playoff team. And I'd imagine without knowing your group uh, inside the locker room, you know, that's the work they have to do. Find out who are the guys that are hurting the, the character of the group. Get them out. It's a great. You point. And uh, so, yeah, sheep herders, sheep, corpses, terrorists. You, you've got to know how to draft well, because if you don't bring the right high character people in, it, it'll kill your group and your rebuild. You've seen Buffalo. You brought it up. I mean, you know, they on rebuild four right now. Yeah. Nuts. You know, you know, nuts. And it's scary because you don't want to see that happen to a huge market that loves hockey like like Philadelphia. Yeah, the, the fans there deserve better. They, they're committed. Oh, Buffalo, big time. Yep. You, you see it every year. Play. Cup finals, you see the yeah. ratings, and they're up there. Their team's nowhere near it, but yeah. they, they've got great ratings. You know, know, it's funny too, Valley, because where I started before you even joined, and we didn't even talk about this, we haven't texted about this, the whole beginning of this show today before you came on was me talking about the notion of wanting the team to lose to get better lottery odds. And I think that that's Dangerous. just an Dangerous. awful, awful Dangerous. way to go. Dangerous. Be- so because way, I mean, so you know, losing is, is something you just don't wash your hands of. You're so right. It's in the walls. Okay. Yep. It finds its way into the it's wall. A cigar smoker in a small room. It's <laughs> a great analogy. Nobody <laughs> likes that guy. Nope. Uh, so, uh, I got to say, and it's not just because I cover the Rangers. And look, like, I work for MSG Networks. I don't work for New York Rangers. I cover the team. Of course, my rooting interest is them doing well. It's easier for me to do my job. I enjoy talking about positive things in my life. But the truth of it is, is they never tanked. They won a game. When they won the draft lottery to get Kako, they didn't win it. They got second. But for them to move up, they won the final game of the season in Pittsburgh. You know, and... It was the group message, and it was it was John Davidson, it was Jeff Gordon, it was David Quinn. They all said, "We're not doing that. We we are going to do this, and and make karma help us the right way. We're going to keep it um, competitive on the ice. You can't play meaningless. And this is the biggest issue. The biggest issue with these teams that has failed is that they have too many meaningless games at the end of the year. You can't play." meaningless hockey you cannot and i and i bet 
you know what I think? If we went back to the Rangers rebuild, I think they played three meaningless games, three games where they were mathematically eliminated. That's it during the rebuild. Like they were always close. They were always battling. They were always playing important minutes. So under the worst possible conditions of not being a, a playoff team, they were always in it. They never, they never fell so far out that they were playing meaningless minutes, meaningless games, however you want to uh, tag it. But that's a huge thing because the culture carries from those dark moments into, into the light. You can't hide from them. Yeah. To me, even if you are eliminated, you got to find meaning. And I always say, as long as they plug that big shiny thing that they spend millions of dollars on in the middle of the rink that has uh, how many goals for and how many goals you allow, that should be enough meaning. So yeah, no doubt. uh, Valley, I appreciate the time as always, man, you gave us a ton and I love talking to you. The perspective today, I think it'll be, will be really important for flyer fans to hear. And uh, I know the Rangers are going to the playoffs for the first time in five years. Yeah. Um, so it, it could be a real fun run. I mean, right now you guys would be uh, locked up against, uh, you know, Pittsburgh in the first Looks round. Like Pittsburgh, yeah. It'll yeah be that'd be fun. It's a good matchup for yeah. both teams. It's a good matchup. It's yeah. going to be close. Awesome. Thanks for doing this as always, Valley. Hey, thanks, buddy. Good seeing you again. There he is. Steve Valakat joining us on Stick to Hockey Live. Awesome stuff as always from that. Steve and God, there's so many great messages in the stuff he said. I don't even know where to start. I'm going to have to like take a couple of days to decompress, but boy, is that, was that an enlightening conversation and the stuff about Carter Hart in situations where his, when the Flyers have a one goal lead, that was, that's concerning that that's when he's been at his worst. So we got to take all this into consideration moving forward. Um, so thanks to Steve Valcat from MSG, former Ranger goaltender, former NHL goaltender. Awesome stuff. Um, appreciate his time as always. Just fascinating, fascinating discussion. Um, let me tell you about Bet Parks because they are great. They are fantastic. You know, that information that Stephen just gave out and provided by Clearsight Analytics, his company, would really help a lot when wagering on a game. <laughs> All Bet Parks users, right now you can get a free $20 casino bonus. This is for all users, not just new users, by the way. Uh, free again, $20 casino bonus or free $20 sports bet. So you got to get the new Bet Parks app. You're going to love it. It's everything you want in a mobile casino and a sports book. It's right in your pocket. Easier to use, faster to use, better ways to get in on the action and get your, you know, action in on whether it's going to be the national championship game, whether it's going to be yeah, the remainder of the hockey season and into the playoffs or pro basketball and into the playoffs or baseball. You can bet baseball futures, same game parlays, player performances. It's all there and it's all simple to navigate. That's the big thing. So make sure you check it out. Get the Bet Parks app. If you're an existing user, get it. Check it out. The, the old app was good. The new app is better. It's just that simple. It's the all new app and it is live. And you can take it from me. This is everything you want. Again, in a mobile casino and sports book. Easy to sign up, fun to use, easy to use, and faster to win than ever before. And right now, all Bet Parks users, again, have that choice of either a $20 free sports bet or $20 casino bonus. So download the new Bet Parks app today. You do need to be over 21 and present in Pennsylvania. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, that's going to put a wrap on this episode of 
Bet Parks presents Stick to Hockey Live. We will have another big one for you coming up on Thursday. We have a little announcement coming up on Thursday's episode as well. So make sure you tune in Thursday, 1 o'clock. Tomorrow we'll have a brand new episode of Ajis with myself and Harry Mays leading into Masters Week. So a lot going on. And uh, we'll crank it up uh, tomorrow with Ajis. And then Thursday with Bet Parks presents Stick to Hockey Live. Everybody, enjoy the rest of your Monday. We'll talk to you coming up tomorrow right here. So have a great day, and we'll talk soon.